Welcome back. For those of you that are listening online, you'll notice on the calendar there on the webpage, it's been a while since we met. You haven't missed anything. We've been all gone, but we're back at it now. And we're in chapter 5, verses 7 through 10. You can go ahead and read it for us. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. And He was heard because of His reverent submission. Although He was a son, He learned obedience from what He suffered. And once made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now this is the section we're going to be covering tonight. But there's a section here that I really want to just pull out and take a little while, and actually quite a while, to really look at. Because there's something here that I think we really need to, to not only look at, but I think will be of an encouragement to you. And it's something that God has been really speaking to my heart about recently over the last few weeks. And it's actually something that I can't wait to talk to you about. But in the study of something that God's already been showing me, He showed me even something new that I can't wait to tell you about. And it comes from this aspect here. Look closely at what it says. It says that Jesus, although He was a son, He learned obedience from what He suffered. Now, I want you to grasp this, and this is where we're going to get started. Living without sin wasn't easy for Jesus. I, want, I think we need to really grasp this, because this will be helpful for us as well in a second. But living without sin wasn't easy for Jesus. Think about what happened in the garden, and how He wrestled with going to the cross. His spirit wanted to do what the Father wanted him to do, but his flesh did not. And so what we're going to do now is I'm going to just kind of walk you through some snippets of Jesus' life to show you where obedience to the Father wasn't easy. Alright? So after we're done looking at Jesus, then we'll take a look at what the Scripture says about our lives. But let's just start there in Luke 22. Put a bookmark here in Hebrews 5. Go with me to Luke 22, verses 39 through 46. Here's a passage, there's actually many gospel accounts of what happened here in the garden, but we're just going to take a look at what Luke had to say. Luke 22, verses 39-46. said, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and His disciples followed Him. On reaching the place, He said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, you've you got to understand, Jesus was not... Look, not looking forward to the, the suffering of the cross physically. Of course, it wasn't something he probably was really excited about. But if you understand, Jesus was the one who taught, look, when someone strikes you on the cheek, what are you to do? Turn and give them the other cheek. Jesus was the one, when, when, when people do this to you, he said, blessed are you. So he would have been hypocritical to say, hey, it's good for you to get hit, but I don't want to get hit. All right. So when Jesus was in anguish, it wasn't really about the physical suffering. Oh, I'm sure as a human, he wasn't looking forward to it. 
The anguish was he knew that he was going to be separated from the Father. That he was going to experience hell, if you will. The separation from the Father. The same Jesus that always said, My Father, My Father, My Father, is the one who cried out on the cross, My God, My God, why have you forsaken Me? And then, of course, at the end of his time on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit My Spirit. I don't know how God can separate Himself from Himself, but somehow, some way, Jesus experienced the separation from the Father. And just, I want you to understand this. It wasn't easy to be obedient. Was He tempted to not go to the cross? Yes. Did He want to do what the Father wanted Him to do? Yes and no, right? Understand that being obedient and that reverent submission that we read about in Hebrews 5 wasn't easy for Jesus. I'm going somewhere with this because it will be extremely helpful for you. It's been such a a life-changing thought for me to grasp where we're going to go. But let's just keep looking. Uh, We don't have to go to Hebrews 4 because you know we've already looked at that, how he was tempted. Remember, he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted. Now let's take a look at Luke 4 though. I want you to see that not only was Jesus in anguish there at the garden, but actually Satan was out to get him all the time. And in Luke chapter 4, look at verses 1 through 13. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, every time you see the word full of the Holy Spirit or filled by the Holy Spirit, change it to the word controlled by. It'll help you understand it. There's a lot of false teaching out there about filling of the Spirit where they try to make it sound like you've, you've, you're, you're missing some of the Spirit and He needs to give you more. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. We have received all of God that you're ever going to get. All that you need, you already have through Jesus coming to indwell you. But whether or not you are filled with the Spirit is the difference of whether or not you are controlled by the Spirit. Just because He lives in you doesn't mean He's in control. You get to choose whether or not you're going to let Him have control. So Jesus, under the control of the Holy Spirit, that's important, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them He was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, we've always read that. As Jesus in the wilderness and Satan came and says, how about this? And Jesus says, no, Scripture says. And then Satan says, how about this? And no, Scripture says. But do you understand that it was hard for Jesus? He wasn't just quoting Scripture back and saying, aha, no, aha, good try, no. It was a struggle. You know how you know that? Look at what it says. After the 40 days, what was going on with Jesus? He was hungry. He was hungry. And the first thing Satan came at to him was, hey, why don't you just turn these stones to bread? And he said, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Was he tempted to turn the stones to bread? I guarantee you he was. 
And not only that, Satan, I'll get right to you, Allison. Satan said, okay, you won this battle, but he was looking for the next time. And he's always was looking to, to make Jesus mess up. Why? Why was he wanting Jesus to mess up? Just once. He couldn't be the perfect sacrifice. You had your hand raised. Go ahead. Yes, at the end of it, they came to minister to him, just like in the garden. The angels had to come and strengthen him. Folks, don't think for a second. Again, we're going somewhere with this, so let this sink in. Don't think for a second that it was easy for Jesus to live obedient and reverent submission to the Father. He's human as you and I. He had desires and wishes and wants, and the flesh was pulling on him just like it does on us. He never gave in to it, but I'm telling you, it wasn't easy for Jesus to be obedient to the Father. It was a continual struggle. And not only was Satan looking for a more opportune time, he would even use some of his closest friends. Go to Matthew 16. Verses 21 through 23. In Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Now, was Jesus talking to Peter? Not really. Kind of. But he also knew who was speaking through Peter. Remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Sometimes we get so mad at that person because they did that to us. But do you understand that actually our real enemy that's working through them is somebody else? And Jesus knew that this was Satan talking. Because Satan was continually, continually, continually. There are many more. For the sake of time, we won't go there. But in John chapter 7, his brothers make fun of him. And they say, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Why don't you go to the feast and make yourself public? I mean, anybody that's going to be a public figure like yourself, you know, this would be a great time. And Jesus' answer was interesting. If you go back and look at it, He says, it's not time for me. For you, any time is right. This is not the right time. So in other words, He says, I've got no problem with making myself a public figure at the Feast of Tabernacles. And oh, by the way, I think He will. There's one day on the Feast of Tabernacles when Jesus is going to appear and He is going to reveal Himself. But He said to His brothers, it's not time. But it was Satan speaking through His brothers. And so folks, what I want you to understand is, is we have a tendency to think, well, Jesus is so much bigger than me, and, and He is, and so much better than me, and He is. But because He was God, you think that He didn't struggle. I think the Bible teaches without question, and we see it in Hebrews 5, because He was, he was honored because of His reverent submission, But even though he was a son, he learned obedience through what? Suffering. And this is where I want us to go a little bit tonight. If it was hard for Jesus to be obedient to the Father, don't you think it's going to be hard for you? 
But here's where, and this has been the one thing that I can't wait to, to just get to, so I'm just going to say it now. has been such a big help for me. And I've been a Christian since 1973. And I've been walking with the Lord since 1973. Not perfect. And I've definitely committed sins and He's had to discipline me and He's worked on me. But as a whole, I've striven to get to know God more. But one of my struggles has been, as I've matured in my faith, I've had this subconscious thought of, well, maybe pretty soon... I won't have to struggle so much anymore against sin. I think I, I get to this point where I think maybe in a few years or maybe soon, I, this won't be such a temptation to say no or a temptation to say yes. I've had this thought that if I would finally mature as a Christian, I wouldn't struggle so much. And then it hit me as I was doing this study. Wait a minute, if Jesus who was God struggled with being obedient... Listen to me, folks. You are going to struggle with being obedient the rest of your life. Stop beating yourself up because you think, why am I still struggling with this? This shouldn't be a struggle anymore. If Jesus had to struggle, you will struggle till the day you die. Now, I'm going to get right to you there. I'm not saying that gives you permission to quit. I'm not saying you can give in. But I'm saying, don't fall prey to the thought of thinking that you won't struggle anymore with temptation or sin or being obedient to the Father. The flesh that you carry around with you is going to fight you to the day you die. And the one who likes to manipulate the flesh is going to fight you to the day you die. He keeps looking for another opportune time. Now keep in mind, He can't touch you unless the Father gives Him permission. He can't tempt you unless the Father gives Him permission. But it has been such a thing for me that has helped me because as I, I, I've journaled over my, over my life as a Christian, you know, spend time and spend time in the Word and write journal. And, and I'm, I've kept these journals. Actually, I'll be honest with you, I didn't even know what the daily devotion time was or quiet time was until I met Becky in 1988. I've been a Christian since 73, but no one had ever taught me about a quiet time. You know, I had studied God's Word and I read it and stuff, but I, I didn't know what a quiet time was of spending time with God each day. And so I'm dating Becky and I come to I come to visit her and she's sitting there with her Bible and she's writing in this notebook. I'm like, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm having my quiet time. I said, what? I thought she was in time out. <laughs> no, she didn't. No. So I... In 1980, began to journal myself and write down, and I would write my struggles and my temptations and my thoughts, and and then I would do that over the years. And one day, I went back and looked at some of my journals, and I was I was scared. I was like, "Wait a minute! The same stuff that I was struggling with in 1988 and 89, I was struggling with in 2001." And I thought, "Man, why am I still struggling with this? Shouldn't I have victory over this by now?" Why am I still tempted? And God has been beginning to teach me and say, whoever told you that it would never be a struggle ever again? You're going to be wrestling with this. It's at a different level and in a different way. But until you die, you're still going to be tempted to not be obedient. Maybe not until you die. When's that? Rapture may come first. Well, <laughs> you, you know what I mean. When you leave this flesh, <laughs> how dare you take me at my word? Now, I... Ida, you were raising your hand back there. <laughs> good doesn't become a habit. Yep, no, it did. No. Yep.
and that he was a superhero. That's a really good point. Yes. That's a good, that's a really good point. Hey, y'all remember first time you heard your parent cuss? Maybe some of you grew up with parents who weren't Christians or whatever, but you know, we grew up as little kids and we think mom and dad are perfect. And the first time you see them as human, doesn't it rock your world? It's like, wait a minute. And then you become a parent and you try to convince your kids that you're superhuman. You know, I remember when my kids used to think that I could fix everything. They used to say it, dad can fix everything. And I'd say, you're right. It's getting harder to convince them of that. As they're getting older, they're getting to see a little bit more clearly. But you know what? I think you're right, Edith. We have a tendency to think that Jesus was a superhero. Especially transmissions. Yeah, especially transmissions. Don't get me started on transmissions. I want to show you that the Bible has been saying all along that you're going to struggle. And I want to show it to you. I'm not showing this to depress you. I'm showing you this to strengthen you. Alright? Don't take this as a, oh man, that's an exciting life I would look forward to. I want you to hear it as you're right on schedule if you're struggling with being obedient. Again, please do not hear me say that you don't have to be obedient. I'm saying if you struggle with being obedient, even if you've been a Christian for 50 years, you're right on schedule. Alright? Let's take a look at some of those places. Go to Romans chapter 8. Yes, sir? Are you equating... No. I'm not, I'm not equating struggling and suffering. But we are going to be talking about suffering as well. But right now, what I'm talking about is, is struggling with being obedient. And I'm glad you brought that up, because we, we're going to need to, all through these scriptures, take a look at it. Is he talking about suffering, or are we talking about struggling? And there is a difference. What I'm talking about right now to start with is, Jesus struggled with being obedient. Alright? So will we. But now there is going to be suffering, which in the suffering, what is our temptation? When we suffer, we have a temptation not to be obedient, because we don't like pain. We don't like suffering, and so the suffering sometimes causes us to then be tempted to not be obedient. Because if God asks us to do something, it might be tough. It was funny, I, I, I'll just kind of use this as an illustration. I was talking with a friend of mine today, and uh, he has a, a daughter who has a heart for missions. And she's getting to the point, she's almost 18, and, and she's thinking about what she's going to do with her life, and maybe she's going to go on a one-year mission trip or whatever before, before she goes to college. And he was encouraging that until he found out that she was thinking about going to Mumbai, India. And he thought, I was kind of picturing something a little closer. <laughs> you know? And so I want you to understand, is in our suffering, and we're going to talk about that, sometimes our suffering causes us to be tempted to not be obedient. Or we think that the suffering is discipline, and we think we've we missed the mark somehow. Yeah, if we think it's different uh, discipline, and we think we missed the mark, we don't understand that sometimes it's pruning. That's why you've got to really understand who you are in Christ. That's why you've got to be spending time listening to Him. And you'll know when He says, hey, I'm redirecting you. Or other times He'll just say, hey, this has nothing to do with you. Just keep right on going. I'm, I'm shaping you right now. And this is important. So I, I want to just talk about scriptures that talk about suffering and struggle. And we're going to take a look at that. Romans 8, verses 35 through 36. In this whole section about how if God's for us, who can be against us? It says in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. 
We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Think about this for a minute. Look at what Paul's saying. In the middle of, if God's for us, who can be against us? He says, what's going to separate us from God's love? What about, is trouble going to separate you from the love of God? No. Hardship, persecution, famine. How come he didn't say a trip to Disney? How come he lists all this stuff? Because that is what's going to happen in your life on this earth. For his sake, we face death all day long. Now sometimes, as we're going to see, it's because we're a follower of Christ and the world doesn't like followers of Christ. For other times, it's because God is molding us and shaping us to become more like Christ and His best tool for that is suffering. But I just want you to hear, in the middle of this section where he says, nothing will separate you from God's love, he lists all this bad stuff that most likely is going to happen. But don't think for a second that God's mad at you or He's punishing you. Remember, you've heard me say this before. If God has to punish you for your sin after salvation, Jesus didn't pay the full price. Jesus paid the full price. He's not punishing you. He's not mad at you. His wrath has been taken care of. He loves you. Sometimes it hurts. The Hebrew writer will, when we get to chapter 12 sometime in 2014, the Hebrew writer says that the discipline sometimes feels like punishment, but he's not mad. If you're his child, you've been reconciled. He loves you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Oh, by the way, you're going to experience nakedness, danger, famine, sword. There's going to be suffering. And it's going to cause you to be tempted to not be obedient. Let's look at another passage. Go to uh, Luke chapter 18. Verses 28 through 30. I love the fact that the Bible lets us see that the, the disciples were real, that Jesus is real. And this is one of my most favorite passages of Scripture. Because Peter is just like us. I love this. Luke 18, 28-30. Peter said to Jesus, We have left all we had to follow you. And I love this. It's almost like he's saying, Hey Jesus, in case you didn't notice, we've given up everything to follow you. Because Jesus had just said how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And Peter says, Hey, we actually look good for a second. We've actually given up everything. In case you hadn't noticed... By the way, I'm really good at that. When I do a good thing, when I do something that I think is going to earn me points with Becky, I make sure I point it out. You know? Hey, I just took the trash out. Did you notice that? You know, that kind of stuff. Peter does the same thing here. But look at what Jesus says. He said, tell you the truth. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. In other words, Jesus says, let me just tell you, Peter, I am paying attention, and I do know what you've left. And everybody that's ever sacrificed for me in this life, I'll reward not only in this life, but in the life to come. Actually, in another place, he'll say a hundred times as much in the life to come. So does the Lord know when you're sacrificing for Him? Now, I've got to stop there and make sure that I don't have you go down some wrong road. Because there are some people that determine what the sacrifice is going to be themselves. And they decide, I'm going to do this for Jesus. And that sounds real spiritual. But I'm going to tell you, anything that has not been initiated by Jesus is not going to be blessed by Jesus. Alright, let me say that again. Anything that has not been initiated by Jesus will not be blessed by Jesus. You could give up the rest of your life to go to an orphanage in Mumbai, India and sacrifice for these children or whatever and... If Jesus didn't want, told you to do it, you're on your own. 
Remember, the Bible says anything done by the flesh counts for nothing before God. And the flesh is anything done independent of God. That's why Paul said, if anybody had confidence in the flesh, I have the most. And when he listed his flesh, he didn't say fornication. He said, I was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was the Jew of the Jews. I was all this stuff that we would say, wow, that's got to get in points with God. And he said, that was all done in my own strength for God. And it didn't count for anything before God. I count that all rubbish. So when I say sacrifice for Jesus, and sacrifice because of your walk with Jesus Christ, you don't pick the sacrifice. See, a lot of preachers told us over the years that we were to sacrifice, and they told us to go sacrifice. And we went out to try to sacrifice for Jesus. Unfortunately, they left something off. Yes, we are to be willing to sacrifice for Christ when He asks us to sacrifice. How do you know? know? Um, When it's something that He wants for you, and it's not something you've chosen, you'll know. And here's the best way I can tell you. Um, When when Becky and I were in New Orleans, we... uh, um, we were ready to get out of New Orleans. We had been on staff at a church there for a while, and the church was excellent, and we were doing well. But to be honest with you, our heart, hearts were being tugged to go back to Florida. We, we, we loved doing ministry where we were, and God was blessing us, but we wanted to go to Florida. And then a church up in Chicago of 50 people called us and wanted us to come as their pastor. And as Becky and I prayed and wrestled with, okay, Chicago wasn't really where we were picturing to go. And one day as we were sitting there and we were talking about whether or not this is what God wanted, Becky started to cry. And I said, why are you crying? And she said, because I know that's where God wants us to go. It's not where I want to go. But I know it's where God wants us to go. And so when He's asked you to sacrifice, you'll know it's Him. If He hasn't, don't go picking one. Folks, doesn't the Bible say each day has enough trouble of its own? Don't go looking for it. I think one of the problems we've had over the years is in Christianity is, is we examine ourselves too much. You know, the Bible actually doesn't say that you're to examine yourself except in one place. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Is Jesus in you? That's where you need to check. But once you're in Christ, the Bible says, Lord, you search me and know my heart. You show me if there's any wicked way in me. But too many of us have have made our lives with Christ too tough because we're continually saying, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? Relax. You're doing fine. If you're not, He'll tell you. I want you to hear that, folks, because I've been as guilty as anybody of wanting to make sure I'm okay. How am I doing, Lord? How am I doing, Lord? And one day, my father said to me, he said, how would you like it if AJ kept asking you that every day? I said, Lord, that would crush me. I want him to know that he's loved and I love him. If he's got something, I'll tell him. Just be a kid. I would hate it if he came up to me every day and said, Dad, are you happy with me now? Are you pleased with me? Do you think I'm doing okay? I would hate that. And God says, well, so do I. Knock it off. So you'll know when it's Him asking you to sacrifice. Is that what we mean when we say, I felt led? Yes. Yes. And the cool thing is that sometimes when we think we're led by God and we're not, because our hearts are in the right place, He'll either redirect us or He'll, he'll turn that into something that He wants to use for a teaching opportunity. God loves us. He's okay. He do not get as mad as we think. But understand this. Following Him won't always be easy. My friend Bill's here, and I know he's having it rough right now because his wife just died. And in God's plan... They were blessed with 63? How many years? 60, 60 and a 
16 and a half. 16 and a half years. But in God's plan, she got to go first. And here's one of the most godly men that I've ever met in my life. And he's struggling. And it's okay. It's okay. But in the struggle, don't beat yourself up because you're struggling. Like, oh, I should be a better Christian than this. No. To say, God, you got through this. Get me through this. Folks, I want you to hear it. God knows when you sacrifice for Him. God knows when you suffer. God knows when you're going through what you're going through. And He's keeping track. And in this life, He'll reward. But in the life to come, a hundred times as much. Let me show you a couple more. Go to um, Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. This is after Paul, Saul becomes Paul, if you know, and has been saved. And uh, Ananias is told by the Lord that he's sending him to have him open his eyes. And I, again, I love the honesty of these people. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. In other words, Ananias says to God, don't you know who this is? Man, that's awesome. I love that. Here's a guy who can know when God says, I'm sending a guy to you to lay hands on him and heal him of his blindness. He had that kind of a relationship with the Lord that he could hear God speak that clearly. And he's going, do you know who this is? Uh, yeah, I love that. But God, the Lord answered Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, the problem is that some of us have been lied to. We've been told that if you're a Christian, you're going to get your best life now. Don't fall for that. Don't fall for that. God promises to be with us. He promises us joy. He promises us peace. But He doesn't say that you won't suffer. He doesn't say that you won't struggle. He doesn't say that obedience will be easy. And don't think that as you get older in Christ, the easier it will be to be obedient. It won't be. Because your flesh is still the same old flesh that it's always been. Let me show you another place. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. Look what Paul says here. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Look at what he says here. He says, I want to know Christ more. I want, to, I want to know the power of His resurrection because Paul even wrote here that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives within us. Now, you've got to think about that for a second. That's some amazing supernatural power that would rise Jesus from the dead, make the stone roll away, and, and that's living inside of you and me. And Paul says, I want to experience and know that kind of resurrection power that is within me through the power of God. But I also want to share in the fellowship of sharing in His sufferings. There's no other way for me to say this to you except this. 
you want to know Christ more, you want to really know who He is, you have to suffer. You have to. Some of us say, ah, I don't want to be refined as gold. Can I be refined as silver? Let's be honest. Isn't that our desire? I'd like to be refined as silver, not gold. Silver's good enough, don't you think? But to be honest, the Scripture is very clear that if you want to get to know Him more, there's going to be pain. But too many of us, when, 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 when pain comes, when, when suffering of any kind comes, what's our first thought? We get mad at God. What are some others? What did I miss? In other words, I must have done something wrong here. I must have not put the right amount of change in the machine because I didn't get the Coke that I wanted. You know, I got the diet or something. You know, something's going on here. How do I get out of this? You've heard me say this before, but I'm just going to say it again. In Acts 16, when, when Paul and Silas were in that prison and having been beaten and put in the inner cell, they're singing praises to God at midnight. And the doors fly open and the chains fell off and they didn't move. Which means they must have not been praying, get us out. Because if they had been praying, get us out, and the doors flew open and the chains fell off, they would have said, God answered our prayer, let's go. But the fact that that all opened up and they didn't move means they weren't asking God, get us out of this. They said, God, this isn't because we've sinned. This isn't because you're mad at us. You're doing something right now. It hurts. It's really no fun. I definitely would rather not be here, but you're doing something right now. So I'm going to be looking for that. And when the doors flew open, the chains fell off, and the jailer says, I'm going to kill myself now, they said, now we know. But I can guarantee you they didn't know until then. I don't know why you're going through what you're going through. I don't know why we're going through what we're going through. This rascal over here making a joke. He heard me preach earlier this morning. He's mentioned transmissions. I, I spent 2200 bucks on a new transmission for my blazer uh, a month ago. It was December 7th. And actually, my, the transmission went out while I was in Gainesville. And I had to uh, put um, it in a shop there and have it repaired, repaired there so I could get home. And... Uh, on, well, we, we then took our minivan, which has got 175,000 miles on it, and drove to Chicago to see a friend who's who got cancer. And as we drove to Chicago, I had a friend of mine who's a mechanic up there just check the fluids before we drove back. And he showed us that we had a huge transmission fluid leak. And, and it was such a, a big repair that he couldn't fix it before we could go home. And I said, what do we do? He said, go buy yourself a funnel and transmission fluid, and every time you stop, pour some in. <laughs> which, by the way, will make the trip from Chicago home a lot longer, okay? Alright? So, we now have a transmission problem with the minivan after having spent $2,200 on a transmission problem for the Blazer. So, we get back to Florida on Saturday. I We put the van in the garage and we'll wait until Monday to take it to our mechanic to figure out what they're going to do. And we borrow my Blazer and Becky and I go to Walmart about 10 o'clock on Sunday night and we get out and we get in the thing and I put it in reverse and it doesn't go backwards. This is the one we just replaced. Thank God for a wife who laughed at that time. Because <laughs> now we have two vehicles. Well, she calls me this afternoon. Because we had to have that one towed to Gainesville because that's where the warranty is. She calls me this afternoon because she's now driving my daughter's 92 Honda. And she goes, we're three for three. <laughs> but you know what? Oh, yeah, okay. He's not mad. He's not punishing me. He's got something in mind. 
And all we do is... What did he say? He wants you to walk more. He wants me to walk more. Alright, all right, let me just say, everybody, everybody else in this room is allowed to, stop, to talk in Bible study except Chris Wilson. You know what, folks? Thank God that He's been teaching us who we are in Him. Because otherwise we'd be saying we're doing something wrong. God's mad. God's... No, this is a part of life. You, hey, you know what? I know people that don't have a car. We got three. Praise God, we got three to have problems with. They, they, they run pretty well. They run pretty well. But this is, this is what I want you to hear. You got to get in your head. When trouble comes, in this life you will have trouble. And he said, I've overcome the world. That's because he wants us to go to him. Stop thinking that if trouble's happening, you're doing something wrong. Now trust me, there are times that God gives us a spanking. He does it because He loves us. And it doesn't feel good at times. But you'll know when He's spanking you, because you'll know that He's already been previously saying, I've got something I want to take out of your life. You understand what I'm saying? God does not go to the spanking first. Hopefully you as a parent didn't do that. When you saw your child being disobedient, you would tell them first. You would use many other ways of getting their attention. Spanking hopefully came near the end. I hope you weren't a parent that when they did something and they didn't even know what they had done, you smacked them. Hopefully you didn't do that. Your Heavenly Father is not going to do the same thing. He is going to spank at times, but that comes after He's been speaking in many other ways. So if you are being spanked, you know it. But if it's come out of the blue, don't pray, how do I get out of this? Don't pray, what did I do wrong? Alright. Lord, this is a chance for me to get to know you more. Where do we go from here? What do you got in mind? I'm going to take it down a different road now. I think we have, and this is something that God's begun to teach me in the last few weeks, and I've had the privilege of talking to church leadership about this. And I was guilty of this as well. I think we have also tried to design our churches so that there will be no pain. I think that's why a lot of our churches have so many rules in our policies and our manuals. We think that if we can structure things in a certain way and make rules a certain way, that we won't have conflict. We won't have problems. And then when a problem does arise, what do we do? We say, oh, we need to make a rule about that. Alright, so that won't happen again. But you know what? I've come to realize, and I was as guilty of it as well. I've been in pastor of churches, and I try to set up our structure that we would have everything run smooth, and everything never ran smooth. And we'd say, well, maybe we need to change our structure a little bit, and maybe we set up our organizational chart a little different way, so we won't have to deal with this. And God has begun to show me, He said, Jim, why in the world are you trying to eliminate me? That's what we're doing when we make our manuals and our policies and all our rules for, for conduct. God is a healer. He's a restorer. He's a mender. You get to know Him more in times of struggle. Am I not right, Cindy? had the privilege of walking alongside Jesus with Cindy for years, and I watched her go through some real tough stuff in church by people. Some of the best time of growth because she handled it the right way and she kept going. But don't think that in your church you can structure it a certain way and you won't have problems. 
You know how Paul and Barnabas had their spat after their first missionary journey? And then they got aside to go on another one, and then they got into their fight in Acts 15. If they were in the church today, we would have made a policy that once you've gone on a missionary journey with somebody, you can't ever do that again. Because we think that, okay, we'll make a rule so we won't have that problem again. Listen to me. You're going to have problems. You know why? Because people are in your church. But I've also found that the godly type of leadership are not those who say, how do we keep this from happening again? But the ones who say, what does God want us to do? How do we handle it now? Now, you're going to have people in your church saying, that's not fair. You handled that person that way, and you handled that person this way. And if you read your Bibles, Jesus said to Peter, what if I want John to remain alive until I return? What's that to you? Are you willing now to be a follower of Jesus Christ instead of a fear of man? Don't think that there won't, you can make no suffering in your life. Don't think that you can't make no suffering in your church. Jesus learned obedience through what He suffered. And so will you. I'm feeling better. I don't know about you. I'm feeling better. Go to John 16, though. Let me show you something cool. Look at verses 1 through 4 and then verse 33. Jesus has just been teaching his disciples intensely because it's hours before he goes to the cross. And he's telling about all this stuff. And he says in chapter 16, verse 1, All this I've told you so that you won't go astray. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they haven't known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you'll remember that I warned you. I didn't tell you this at first because I was with you. And I kept them from doing that stuff to you. But now I'm not going to be with you. Right? Because he's going away. And he won't be back until the Holy Spirit comes. At Pentecost. And what does he say to them? Guys, let me tell you ahead of time. It's going to get rough. And I'm telling you this now so that you won't think that you've done something wrong. You know, it was a huge deal to be put out of the synagogue. It wasn't that you just couldn't go to church. It wasn't that they would say, well, I'll just go to synagogue number two. Now, if you're put out of the synagogue, you're excommunicated from the community. And he says, they're going to put you out of the synagogue because of me. And I told you this ahead of time so that you'd remember that I said it and you'll respond to it appropriately. That is what tonight's lesson is. Jesus is saying... Stuff's going to happen in your life. Don't think that you're doing anything wrong. I'm telling you this so that you'll respond to it properly. And then, of course, he says in verse 33, I've told you these things so that in me you'll have peace. In this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But you know what? The Bible also says, and this is why we're where we are and why I believe God wants us to study Hebrews during this time where we are in history. The Bible is very clear, folks, about what we're living the days we're living in. Trouble is coming, and it's already here. Wars will increase. Uh, if you're watching anything at all in the world, what's going on right now, what's happening with North Korea and China and in Israel and Palestinians and all this stuff, it cannot stay like it is. Something's going to give. Famines, food shortages. Gas shortages. Pretty soon we will wish we didn't have three cars. 
natural disasters, they're all going to increase. The Bible said so. We're just seeing a taste. Everybody's all freaking out because 3,000 birds fell out of the sky in Arkansas. And two and a half million fish actually floated up onto the shore in Narragansett Bay on Cape Cod area. And they had other things happening around the world. But guess what? That's nothing compared to what's coming. And the Bible has told us this ahead of time so that we won't freak out. And in these days, there needs to be some people that aren't freaking out like everybody else is freaking out. And trust me, you remember when it gets to the time of the tribulation, when it talks about the horsemen and how there's going to Antichrist is going to come, and then there's going to be famines, and it talks about how a day's wages for a loaf of bread. It's going to be real bad that way in the tribulation period, but I believe the Bible also teaches that it's going to get like that even prior to the tribulation. Now Jesus could come back tonight, and that's good with me. And I believe He's going to rapture His church before the tribulation begins. We've already been through that in our Revelation study, but I can't sit here and tell you that we won't face any suffering between now and when He comes to get us. What was the response of the Hebrew Christians to the suffering they were facing? What did they want to do? They wanted to go back to legalism, to Judaism. They thought, ooh, this is too hard, let's go back. This is honestly why, as I prayed about what study we would do next, we did Romans, and then we did Revelation, and that took two years, by the way, Romans and Revelation. And then as I prayed, what, what book do we do next? God clearly said, you need to teach Hebrews to get Christians ready for the days that we're going to be living in so that they won't be tempted to turn back and they'll stay firm and follow and hold on to Jesus Christ. And in the time that we have left, because Jesus won the victory, go back to Hebrews 5. And once made perfect, verse 9, and once made perfect, He, Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. I'm going to give you just a little taste in the ten minutes we have left. This is a little taste of the Melchizedek study. It won't be enough to keep you full because we're going to not do the Melchizedek study next week. Next week we're going to deal with what he deals with next in the rest of this chapter and in chapter, beginning of chapter 6. But we'll get to who Melchizedek is in great detail when we get to chapter 6 and 7. But for tonight... It's here for a reason. And I want to show you why he's mentioned here, even though he doesn't go into detail as to who he is later on. But let's just look at what he says. Jesus won the, because Jesus won the victory over sin and lived perfectly in the struggle, he has become the source of eternal salvation and has given us his victory over sin as well. Do you realize, even though you still struggle with sin, you already have the victory over sin. Ultimately, sin isn't really your issue. And for years, as a Christian, I spent most of my time focusing on victory over sin in my life. And I'm coming to realize that isn't what God wanted me to focus on. Yes, He doesn't want sin to be my master. But ultimately, the victory over sin has already been accomplished. He wants me to focus on more stuff than just saying no to temptation. There's way more to being a Christian than just having a good day and not sinning. Do you realize that most Christians today, or most people that look at Christians today, think that God saved us to make us good people? That's not what it's about. 
He wants to reveal who He is. He's doing something in our life, not only to show the world, but the Bible also says to make Israel envious. If we spend most of our time just trying to have victory over sin in our daily lives, Israel ain't going to get very envious of that. So the victory that Jesus has accomplished is our victory already. He's already given us that victory. Sin is not really our issue anymore. But why does He then say in this place, and He was designated, Jesus was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Well, I want you to look at two passages, and I'll just kind of give you that to kind of chew on until we get back to it later in our study, possibly in a couple of weeks. Go to Psalm 110, verses 1 through 7. Here is, by the way, where the Hebrew writer is quoting from. I'm going to look at this whole, this whole psalm, because this is a whole prophetic psalm here. The Lord says to my Lord, remember David's writing this, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty, from the womb of the dawn you will receive the dew of your youth. By the way, you do realize this is the second coming of Jesus when He sets up His King on the earth. His army, ready for battle, arrayed in holy majesty, is us and the angels who come when He comes back to the earth to actually literally set foot on the earth. He's already gathered His bride. The seven-year tribulation period is accomplished. He's now coming to set up His kingdom. This is a prophecy about that. And the Lord has sworn and will not change His mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now again, He's speaking of Jesus here. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of His wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook beside the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. Alright, now this is a prophecy about Jesus. But interestingly enough, in this prophecy, David is led of God to write that he is a high priest, or priest in the order of Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? Well, I'm going to give you one picture of who he is. We'll go into much more detail later on. But let's go to Genesis chapter 14. The first time we ever see this Melchizedek fella is in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 20. Genesis chapter 14, look at verses 17 through 20. It says, After Abram returned from defeating Keterlamer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High and blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abram by, Most High, by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Out of nowhere comes this king who's also priest. Remember, later on when God sets up the nation of Israel through Abram, and, and, and at that time Abraham, and sets up the lineage of the priesthood through Aaron and all that stuff. Remember, the only ones who could serve as priests were who? The Levites. 
But prior to this, there's this guy, Melchizedek, we're going to find out who he is later on, who is called priest. And Abraham gives him a tenth of his spoils from the battle he just fought. But he's also not just a priest. What is he? He's king. The king of Salem. Now, again, what does that mean? We'll get to that later on. The Hebrew writer deals with that when we get to chapters 6 and 7. If you want to go ahead and read ahead, you're welcome to. But for the sake of time, we're not going to get into that now. But for right now, go back to where we're in Hebrews 5, and we'll wrap up with why I think the Hebrew writer was led of God to put Melchizedek right there. We've already been seeing in our study of Hebrews that Jesus is a high priest, correct? Remember, we've been going through that in great detail, how he was just like the high priest, but way better. And he fulfilled the role of priest for us. But now the Hebrew writer adds a little wrinkle to it. He said, after he suffered, after he was obedient, after he was made perfect and made us perfect, he was then declared to be priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was more than just a priest. He was a king and priest. And what the Hebrew writer is saying here just for now is, after he was the priest, because of his submission, because of his obedience, because of his victory, he was made king and priest. The same Jesus whom has given us the victory is king now. One day the whole world is going to know it. But he's king. So right now, as you suffer, what did Jesus say to Peter? He says, I'm paying attention. I know. I'm keeping track. And Jesus was rewarded for his faithfulness, and so will you too be. But please don't think that if you have trouble in your life, God's mad or out to get you. If he's spanking you because of something you've done, you know it. Because he's been telling you for a while in many other way. If this has come out of the blue... Don't pray immediately, get me out. Say, okay, God, you're doing something here. What do you got in mind? Let me pray for you. Father, again, thank you for the chance to come and open your word. I thank you that in just four verses here in Hebrews, there's so much here. Thank you that your word uh, from Genesis to Revelation all just neatly comes together. And through your spirit, you help us to see these things. And thank you that at the same time, it's not just head knowledge, but you speak to our hearts. And there are people in here tonight that are just being touched by you. Not by me, but by you. Because you are speaking right to some things that nobody else in this room knows about. And Lord, I too thank you that you have been showing me that I shouldn't fall prey to the thinking that one day if I can become a bigger Christian and a better Christian, I won't struggle anymore. If Jesus struggled, I'm going to struggle. And so my daily battle is to not think I should get better at this. My daily battle should be not let Satan win. And may I rely on you in doing that. And may I thank you ahead of time for the victory. And may I also hang on to the fact that one day, through all of my being reverent in my submission to you, through all of my obedience to what it is, even though it's been painful and suffering at times, you're going to reward just like you did Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for that. May we not be focused on this life more than we ought. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.